Hello my lovelies, and welcome to the first ever episode of Primed for Crime. I am your host, Liv, and I'm very excited to have you here, and I really hope you enjoy today's case. Today, I'm going to be talking about the disappearance of Dorothy Jane Scott, a 32-year-old single mum from Stanton, California, who, after receiving anonymous phone calls, seems to vanish without a trace. But before we get into today's case, I just want to state that everything I talk about today is information I have found online, and I mean no disrespect to anybody involved or mentioned. Today's episode involves mention of stalking, so if this is something that you aren't comfortable listening to, then please feel free to click out of this podcast. So, let's begin. This is the disappearance of Dorothy Jane Scott. Dorothy Jane Scott is a single mother living in Stanton, California with her aunt and her four-year-old son, Shanti. She has a job as a secretary for two jointly owned stores in Einerheim, one that sold psychedelic items like love beads and lava lamps, and the other was a head shop, which is a retail shop that basically specialises in cannabis and tobacco, etc. Whilst Dorothy worked, her parents usually looked after her son as they lived close by to her work. In the spring of 1980, Dorothy starts receiving strange phone calls and every single time there is the same man confessing his love for Dorothy, which although he is assumably saying nice things, this still freaks Dorothy out. And you know, rightly so, she doesn't know who this man is. Even though the voice sounds very familiar to her, she just cannot figure out where she's heard him before. Things start to escalate when he starts to tell her that he has been following her which is made even scarier when he starts to list off details about her daily life. And these are details that somebody would only know if they had been watching her. So Dorothy starts to worry about not only her safety, but that of her aunt and her four-year-old son. Weeks go by and these scary phone calls continue and they start to get worse. One day, whilst Dorothy is at work, she gets one of these phone calls and the voice on the other end tells her to go outside because the caller had something for her. Now, Dorothy knows this probably isn't the best idea, seeing as though she didn't even know who this person was or what his intentions were, but she was getting tired of these calls and she wanted to know who was doing this to her. And when she goes outside, she finds a single dead rose on the windshield of her car. At this point, I'm not entirely sure if the police were informed about what was going on, but regardless, the creepy calls continue and they start getting darker. The calls go quickly from love confessions to threats of violence and even murder. At this point, Dorothy really starts to worry, to the point where she starts taking karate lessons and even considers purchasing a gun for self-defence. However, she decided against this as she was afraid that her son might accidentally hurt himself. Dorothy's friends and family were all aware of the calls, so everyone was very understanding and trying to support her as best as they could at the time, but in May 1980, she confesses to her parents about one call in particular that really shook her up. The caller said, Okay, now you are going to come my way, and when I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits and no one will ever find you. And... 
you, you know, that would just be so scary. Like, I couldn't even imagine. The caller then goes on to describe the exact outfit Dorothy had worn that day, possibly to prove to her that he really was following her and watching her, and it wasn't some sort of sick joke. As terrifying as this was, Dorothy still had to make a living so she could pay her bills and continue to care for her son. So in May 1980, she leaves the house in Stanton that she shares with her aunt and her son and drives to her parents' house in Anaheim to drop off her son so she can get to a meeting. Now, there are some variations of what date this actually happened, but looking back at reports from the time, this says that it took place on the 27th of May. So, as I previously said, Dorothy was a secretary for these two shops, and on this particular night there was a staff meeting between both of these stores, which meant that the whole company would be there. After Dorothy drops off her son, she arrives at the meeting at approximately 9pm. Everything at this meeting was going okay, until Dorothy and her co-worker Pam noticed that one of their other co-workers, Conrad, didn't look very well. Apparently, Conrad had this red streak running across his arm, and Dorothy and Pam were telling him, you you need to get this checked out, but Conrad was adamant that he was okay. But Dorothy and Pam kept going on at him and saying there's seriously something wrong, and they offered to take him to the ER so he can get it seen to. Conrad finally agrees and they set off. On the way to the hospital, Dorothy decides to quickly stop off at her parents' house so she could check up on her son and make sure he was alright, and while she was there, Dorothy swaps her black scarf for a red one. Now, you're going to have to remember this because this actually has some significance. Dorothy, Pam and Conrad eventually make it to the ER at the UC Irvine Medical Centre, where doctors check Conrad's arm and it turns out he'd actually been bitten by a black widow spider. And although the bite wouldn't kill him, he is told that his arm is infected, but they can get it taken care of. And a little while after, the hospital actually discharged Conrad from their care at around 11pm. And as they are all waiting for his prescription, Dorothy tells them both that she would go and get a car so she can pull up to the entrance of the ER. But before she goes out to the car, some sources say that she actually quickly went to the bathroom. So, once the prescription is all sorted, Pam and Conrad walk out to where Dorothy said she would wait for them, but Dorothy's car wasn't there. Now, I'm not sure how long they waited, but after a while they decided to walk out into the car park to see if they could find Dorothy. And, you know, they were thinking like, oh, she might have broken down or something. But once they reach the car park, they actually do spot Dorothy's car with someone behind the wheel. And there's actually contradictory accounts of what actually happened with the car. One source reported that the car was driving away from Pam and Conrad, but Pam told the LA Times that the car's headlights were shining in their eyes, which would suggest that the car was facing and driving towards them. Either way, Pam and Conrad started to wave their hands and calling out to Dorothy to try and get her attention, but the car speeds towards them, takes a right turn and just speeds off. According to the LA Times, they couldn't see who was actually in control of the car. Even though Pam and Conrad were confused and perhaps even unsettled, they tried to justify in their minds that something must have happened. Maybe Dorothy had a call about a family emergency and needed to leave quickly. They go back inside the hospital, hoping that maybe Dorothy would come back for them, but they waited and waited and still nothing. 
and after a few hours they were still at the hospital. And this is when they decided to speak with campus police and tell them that Dorothy was missing and something didn't feel right. However, surprise surprise, the campus police didn't think this was a cause for concern. After all, she was an adult so maybe she just wanted to leave without them. But Pam knows this isn't the case, it didn't sit right with her, so she took it upon herself to call Dorothy's parents to check whether she had been back at theirs. However, Dorothy's parents were just as confused and hadn't heard from her either. And time ticks by, and by the end of the night there's still no word from Dorothy. In the early hours of May 28th, at approximately 4.30 in the morning, which was five hours after Dorothy had been seen, police make a discovery in nearby Santa Ana, which was only about 10 miles away from the hospital. And the discovery? Well, it was Dorothy's car. A Toyota station wagon had been found in an alleyway, but with no sign of Dorothy. And the car was actually on fire, so of course everyone is fearing the worst, especially as those close people in her life knew about these phone calls that she had been getting. Dorothy's family spend the next few days waiting and praying that they would hear something, or anything about her whereabouts. There is next to non-information about what actually happened with her family or even the investigation in the early days of Dorothy's disappearance because the police had actually asked her family not to talk about what had happened just in case the person who took Dorothy decided to reach out, you know, perhaps make a deal for her safe return. And this must have been so heartbreaking and difficult for her family to keep quiet. I mean, I know the last thing I would want to do if I was in that position would you know be to keep quiet like I'd want everybody to know about it but following the police's advice they stay quiet for the time being until one week after Dorothy's disappearance her parents receive a phone call her mother Vera answers and the person on the other end of the phone asks her one question are you related to Dorothy Scott anxiously Vera answers yes and the caller replies I've got her, and just hangs up the phone. And that was the last straw for her parents, you know, enough was enough, and they were done being quiet about her disappearance. It was time to speak out and try and ask the public for help in finding their daughter. So a week later, her dad Jacob goes on record with Santa Ana Orange County Register on June 12th, just two weeks after Dorothy went missing. And the next day, after it was published, the Register's managing editor gets a phone call. The person on the other end of the phone starts to refer to Dorothy as his love, and says repeatedly that he has killed her. And this could be why the police had told her family not to go to the press in the first place. After all, this could be a hoax caller, and it's been seen time and time again in similar cases, so it's not too far-fetched. However, this caller mentioned a few things that made everyone a little bit unsettled. Now, remember earlier when I mentioned that Dorothy had gone back inside her parents' house and she had swapped her black scarf to a red one? Well, the caller knew this. He knew that she had swapped her scarf, which, if you think about it, only very few people would actually know this because at this point in time, it hadn't been published to the public. And on top of this, the caller also knew that Conrad's arm was infected specifically by a spider bite, which again, few people actually knew. The caller also claimed that he was there at the hospital and that Dorothy was the one who actually called him. 
He claims that he had gone to confront Dorothy about seeing another man, almost as if she was cheating on him. And the caller had said that Dorothy had denied seeing someone else, but he was so convinced that she was lying, and this was the reason why he killed her. And it seems that the caller genuinely believed that he had a relationship with her, which could be fabricated, like many, many stalking cases, but it could also mean that Dorothy was familiar with this person. I mean, let's not forget that Dorothy had actually claimed that the caller's voice sounded familiar, but just couldn't place it, so this definitely raises a few possibilities. There's a lot of speculation, especially online, as to what actually happened. You know, say, the caller wasn't actually lying about Dorothy calling him, even though Pam had specifically said that she was with her the whole time and she didn't make a phone call. When I've been searching this case, I came across a few threads online about this case, and some people think that if this was true, Dorothy could have called this person when she went to the bathroom before she went out to a car. However, timeline-wise, I don't really think this would be likely. Another thing people are confused about is how the caller would have known about all these details. People are questioning how the caller would know that Dorothy was at the hospital, as it wasn't in line with her normal routine. So, was the caller at the meeting, or outside the meeting waiting for her, or saw her leaving, or could he perhaps have been waiting near a parent's house, you know, to pick up a son, and he saw her return and decided to trail her, and that's when they left to the hospital? Anyway, I'll, um, I'll come back to that shortly. There's, there's a lot on it. It's a huge rabbit hole. So a question that's probably on everyone's mind is, well, did Dorothy have any creepy exes or was she seeing anyone? And the answer to that is, well, no. At the time, her dad Jacob said that Dorothy didn't really date much and she wasn't seeing anyone and her son Shanty's dad lived out of state in Missouri and he'd actually just got back after a trip to see his son so it's very unlikely that he was even involved in her disappearance. So I've actually done a little bit of research about stalkers, and whilst there's no set type of stalker, there is in fact different categories, and I've come across what is known as a love-scorned stalker. Psychology Today has defined this type of stalker as an acquaintance, co-worker, neighbour, etc., who desires an intimate relationship with the victim but is rebuffed. And actually, a subtype of the love-scorned stalker is someone with a disorder called erotomania, which is someone who believes their target is madly in love with them, even though that isn't the case. And this sounds like this could be the case with this creepy caller, especially due to the fact that Dorothy had said that the voice sounded familiar, so that's definitely something to think about. After this phone call, the police actually confirmed that the call did come from the person that had been calling Dorothy based on the sole fact that he knew all these details. But other than that, the police had absolutely nothing to go on. The case was cold. Although there is no solid proof that Dorothy had died, the chances of her being alive at this point are very slim. Dorothy's family are stuck. There is nothing more that they can do. And the caller keeps calling repeatedly. Her parents even inform the police about these calls and they get the phones tapped. But the caller is very careful not to stay on the line long enough for police to trace the call. He stays on the phone just long enough to be able to taunt them about Dorothy. And then he would just hang up. And this must have been so heart-wrenching for Vera and Jacob, you know, as if, as if they're not hurt enough. And this goes on for years. 
In fact, the caller calls them every single Wednesday without fail. Sometimes he'll say that she's dead and sometimes asking if she's home. And according to Freelance Star, it's always Vera that picks up the phone. Almost as if he's either watching the house or he knows their schedules. Until one day in 1984, it's Jacob who picks up the phone. And this must have taken the caller by surprise or spooked him or something because after that, the phone calls just stop. At this point, the phone calls have stopped four years after Dorothy went missing. And although her parents haven't been able to find their daughter, they still had something close to peace. But this was all about to change. In August 1984, a construction worker is doing some digging on Canyon Road in North Anaheim and he makes a shocking discovery. In the bushes about 30 feet from the road are two sets of partially charred bones. One set are animal bones but the other is most definitely human. The police are called to the scene and they find two femurs, an arm, a pelvis and a fully intact human skull with most of the teeth still intact. The police also find a turquoise ring and a woman's watch. After an agonising two weeks waiting, the police get a positive ID through dental records and they do in fact confirm that the remains found were those of Dorothy Jane Scotts. The police weren't able to confirm a cause of death or exactly how long her remains had been there for, but knowing that the bones were charred and the fact that there had been wildfires in 1982, the police believed that she'd been there for at least a couple of years. I tried to find out whether this specific area had been searched at the time of Dorothy's disappearance, but I wasn't actually able to find any information on this. Although her family were able to bury Dorothy and let her finally rest in peace, they weren't able to get full closure or the justice that she deserves. And unfortunately, her parents, Vera and James, have sadly passed away without ever finding out the truth about their daughter's death. But to this day, 40 years after she went missing, no one has ever been arrested or even been a suspect in this case. Her son Shanti, who now goes by the name Sean, has gone on to live a meaningful life, but he still pursues justice for his mother's killer and is still searching for answers. And that concludes today's episode. If you or anyone you know is experiencing stalking, I've listed some helpful links in the show notes. So thank you very much for listening and I really hope you've enjoyed and I really hope that you come back for another Primed for Crime episode. So please be vigilant, please stay safe and hopefully I will see you all very soon.